Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Dave. And this is The Commentary Cast, a podcast bringing you missing commentaries and first-hand insights from the filmmakers behind the streaming content you love. In this week's episode, we talk to director Brian Duffield about his film, Spontaneous. I really enjoyed this movie, Dave. Yeah, it uh, definitely blew my mind. <laughs> Lucky that's all it blew up, because uh, the poor <laughs> characters on, on screen suffered a far more severe fate. But why don't you tell uh, the unfamiliar at home what this week's movie is all about, Dave? All righty. When students in their high school inexplicably start to explode, seniors Mara and Dylan struggle to survive in a world where each moment may be their last. As an unexpected romance blossoms between them, they soon discover that when tomorrow is no longer promised, they can finally start living for today. Let's take a listen to the trailer. Hey, Mara. This is the guy. This is pick Dylan. Ew! You sent her a pic? No, that would be gross. He sent me pictures of Richards. <laughs> That's worse. Can't keep me down any longer. Tell me something, just for me. First time I saw you, Jed tried wrapping his arm around you. <laughs> it was a good first impression. was cute, airy, hardly a reason to pop like a zit. What happened? Caitlin exploded. What? Like a bomb? No, like a balloon. What? It happened again a lot. You know you keep a good girl down. I'm just so glad I didn't explode all over you. <laughs> Watch me run, I'm fast like lightning, run, go, run, I'm going on. What's going to happen to us? School's canceled. Well, at least now you can't say things were so much harder back in my day. You're right. You have a way worse. Based on the book by Aaron Starmer, the film stars Catherine Langford alongside Charlie Plummer. This is Brian's first movie as a director, Grant, but certainly not his first as a writer. Brian is well known in the industry for a number of high-profile spec sales and has had a plethora of movies produced for someone so young. Jane Got a Gun the second installment of the Divergent series, Insurgent, The Babysitter, Underwater, and Love and Monsters. Yeah, this guy is so prolific. He's probably had like three more things go into production just while you were giving that, uh, that spiel, Dave. Well, you blew my mind again. But let's get into it. For those who are new to our podcast, Grant and Brian are going to be having a conversation while watching the film. And if you'd listen for the cue to hit play, you can watch along too or just listen at your own leisure. Put on a poncho. And let's do it. Brian Duffield, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about your incredible movie, Spontaneous. Oh, thank you for having me. Dude, you're a super accomplished guy. You are uh, inevitably <laughs> going to make me feel very in inadequate over the one hour and 41 minute runtime of this film because not only did you direct it, you wrote it and you've written how many movies at this point in your very young life? I think Spontaneous was the sixth that I had a writing credit on. And that's produced movies. That's, I mean, yeah. God knows how many you're writing secretly behind the scenes. No, they're not, they're not all good. <laughs> that's the secret <laughs> to keeping up volume is sacrificing <laughs> quality. I don't I mean, know I if did that's good work, but I don't know yeah. if that's bared out in your, in your <laughs> filmography, sir. Um, where did the, the writing of Spontaneous fit in amongst those other projects, right? Maybe give us a little Where's bit of your last... history. That's two yeah, questions. No, it would have been sure. No, it would have been like the last thing I had written um, that had gotten made. Um, so I, I, I think I wrote it in 
middle or end of 2017. And then and everything I've done since has either been working on, on this movie or um, hasn't come out yet or hasn't been, been made yet. And where does that sort of sit in your career? Like, how did you get into this crazy gambit? In, in terms of how did I get into Spontaneous? Well, the fil- in your film career in general. Oh, you know, I always big movie fan. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, I wound up, we, we moved and I, I didn't live close to movie theaters and we didn't really have TV, but I was like a, you know, a fan boy. And so I think I, when I was like, you know, nine, 10, I started writing kind of like fan fiction sequels to movies that I knew were out, but Dude, I had no you access could sell to them seeing. for so much money now. I know yeah. <laughs> it was never bad, but like I remember, like the Lost World came out, and it was like I was a huge Jurassic nerd. Um, you know, it was the kind of thing like I knew there was a Jurassic Park sequel that I also knew I had no access of seeing. And as like a you know nine ten year old, you know, it's like the the hardest thing to go through. And I think I literally like worked out all of my like anxiety about it by like just writing like a ton of sequels. And it's also this was like way before like you could watch trailers online kind of stuff. And so it was like, just like, you had no idea, like maybe you would get lucky and like see like a clip on TV somewhere at some point. Um, But like having like no idea, you know, what it was about, but knew that it was, you know, that people were seeing it somewhere in in the world. Um, And so I think I got like into the web of like writing fan fiction. And then, you know, it's, it's probably like when you learn how to play guitar, like you start off playing covers of Bob Dylan songs and then eventually you're like oh I you know these chords sound good together like and then you just kind of go your own way um so I think that's basically what happened for me I was writing like fan fiction and then getting into like screenplays and then kind of being like oh you know what like I think I could make my own stories and it segues into that which segues into the Exploding Kids movie. <laughs> well, I maybe guess. I'll use that segue. I'll take that from you and, and let's not put it off. Let's start the movie because I feel like there'll be uh, time to ask the rest of my questions about <laughs> the beginnings of your career as this movie plays out before us. But I'll give everyone a cool. second to uh, queue up their streaming service of choice uh, and we're going to hit play in three, two, one. We are away. Great. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's like 14 or 15 seconds until the movie really kicks off. So I love um, that. That's not common. <laughs> having done a number of these episodes now and having to talk over the credits of other movies, that's quite unique. I have to say, is that, is that a Duffield mandate rip right it, into it? It is. It's also how the book starts. Um, and, and so for me too, like, I think I had a lot of anxiety about the idea that it is a movie about kids exploding and, you can't really show kids exploding in a trailer. And so knowing that for a lot of people, it was going to be like the real like balloon beside your head with a needle kind of thing where like you didn't know when it was going to happen or what it was going to look like or what it was going to feel like. And there it goes. Um, <laughs> and and so kind of being like, you know, what's the fastest way that we can kind of alleviate some of the tension of the movie? And also, you know, for me, like the the movie's, really, you know, it's not about the tone, but like the movie kind of lives and dies on on the tone of the movie. And so having an opening where kind of as fast as possible, you can kind of set up Mara's character, what the exploding kids is like, what the tone of the movie is like, that it's gory, but it's not too gory that you can't hang with it, that it's 
funny, but it's not a farce, that it's sad, but it's not, you know, elephant, um, you know? And so it was like, what, like, what's the way that we can kind of do all of this in as short amount of time as possible? And, and Aaron's book opens with, with Caitlin's death and a lot of the same lines that, um, that Catherine says. And so it felt like, to me, like that was the opening and then there's a little bit of pushback because people kind of wanted to like, let's see her wake up in the morning and like get on the school bus. And those people were just wrong. Um, so <laughs> I think for me, it was it was really like, you know, let's let the movie start. And then kind of instantly you're kind of like, OK, like I kind of get what this movie is doing with the exploding kids factor. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the way we kind of would tell people before it came out when we were like send the movie to like you know uh, other producers or whatever where it's like some of them were really nervous to to see it because they were like you know i'm really squeamish with blood I, you know the kids dying <laughs> kind of thing and it was like you know you if you watch five minutes of the movie and you can't hang um you know stop watching and if you watch five minutes and are like oh yeah i you know i i can watch this i get this tone it's not you know the uh it's not saw or um, like a real horror um, film kind of thing, you know, then it's, um, you know, then, you know, you keep watching. So it, it doesn't get too much more violent um, or, 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 or graphic. Uh, it does get sadder, but <laughs> you know, um, I, there's so much to yeah. unpack there. I mean, I love, I love the thinking that's gone into all of that because uh, you get sent so many scripts or you've watched so many movies where yeah. it does start with, oh, they wake up and then there's the breakfast table scene and you meet the family. And the the purpose of all of that supposedly is to like endear you to the characters, but inevitably it just sort of makes them seem really bland and boring. And like, that's how yeah. every, either that's how our, everyone's day starts in the real world, or at least that's how everyone's day starts in the movies. And you learn much more about the characters by seeing them in this unique situation, right? We learn so much more about Mara yeah. by seeing how she reacts to this crazy circumstance. I, I think it's a pretty in, inspired choice. And oh, thank yeah. I mean, again, and again, like I think with like in my writing too, and it had been reading a lot of scripts. You know, there's so much of that thing where like the movie kind of starts on page 15 or, or 20, um, and and so for me too, it was like you know, in my writing, it's like you know if some exec is getting 15 scripts to read a night or whatever, it's like, you know, I want them to know what the movie is, you know, as fast as possible. So they're kind of like, Oh, this is something I could be interested in or, you know, not. Um, and so I think the same is true with this, this movie. It, it was just like, you know, let's the, let the movie kind of declare itself as literally as fast as possible. Um, and if you like it, great. You'll probably like the rest of it. And if you don't like it, you're not going to like the rest of it and you can get on with your life. Um, I'm going to circle around and talk about tone because I think it is, Yeah, this movie is a triumph of tone. I'm sure it was Thank like you. a major concern going into it. And I want to talk about it at length because it's the it's the question that I think most directors sort of fear in pre-production or when pitching. It's because it's like, how do you actually explain what the tone of it's really going to be? I mean, you had a great speech there which I think makes a lot of sense once you've seen the film, the whole like it's it's sad, but it's not elephant. It's funny, but it's not this. But you're inadvertently saying it's kind of like nothing. It's like in this in-between yeah, right, space, are. right? Which makes tons of sense when you've seen the movie because you thread that needle. It is, it is funny, but not a farce, et cetera, and so forth. But like in the uncertainty of 
the before times before the movie exists and you're a first time director and you're saying well trust me it's going to be this and that like that's a very hard thing to do so at different times i'm certainly going to come back to that and go how yeah. did you pull this off um but my question for the now is uh your process right like I, you said something interesting there about how like you know that execs are reading your scripts and they're reading 15 scripts that night and like why push the inciting incident to page 15 do you have like little guiding principles like that when you come to adapting material uh, or writing your own stuff? Yeah, there's, I guess some stuff like that. Like I, I, I've, I, I find that I almost, I've, I'm trying to think now, I don't think I've ever had a script that I've sold or got made that didn't wind up being turned into something much longer afterwards. Like, like, it just, like I think my scripts are usually pretty short cause I like short movies. Um, <laughs> And I also feel like you don't necessarily like a lot of the things that people think of as character development is time wasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I think you can you can kind of really get through a lot of information in a lot less time, especially now. Um, you know, kind of in like the the TikTok generation. Um, like I just don't I don't know how much. Uh, patience there is I think for like really drawn out kind of stuff um especially like if we're talking features versus tv because I think there's like a different role for tv mm. um but at least for, for features and I think on top of that too it's like I think if you're going to do things that are a little bit of a of a swing um I think shorter is is better because <laughs> then you're not like being like, you know, give me money to, for this 130 page weirdo movie. Um, it's a lot easier to be like, give me money for this 90 page movie. So already your days are, are short as hell. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, I think it's like just letting them know that as a storyteller that you're in control as much as you can right away. And I think that was another thing about the opening for Spontaneous where, you know, it's, it's, you can't, ideally like, you know, after that opening, you, you know that I am telling an intentional story in an intentional way. Um, you know, there's like, you know, the voiceover coincides with, you know, either, you know, Catherine addressing the camera or like lines that are kind of said um, totally free of any context outside of voiceover. Um, you know, a kid is dead and you kind of go through the whole process of what that's like um, in a way that, again, it's not like a joke, but it's not super serious, but it's not depressing. Um, and so it was like, you know, I think for me as a first time director, it was like, what on the page can I do as much as possible that people reading the script are like, I know exactly what this movie should be based on what he's written. And then also, you know, the flip of that as a first time director is, you know, having actors kind of go, Oh, this is a swing and it's a first time director, but this is the kind of ball game I want to play in. Like there's a lot of, you know, work to do in a way that actors enjoy kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you got the perfect cast because, you know, not, yeah, I did. It's a stylized, <laughs> it's a really stylized spoiled. world. Uh, and it takes a certain kind of actor to be able to embrace that and run with it, you know? Uh, and Catherine Langford is so perfect for this. Yeah. But I, I imagine a very busy woman too. Like how, can you give us a little bit of insight about how she came on board? Yeah, no, I met Catherine 
on a different movie that never got made a couple years prior. And then when we were kind of gearing up to start casting this, at, initially she was not available. Um, and then things changed and she became available and um, she was shooting uh, the second season of 13 Reasons at the time when um, we sent her the script. And pretty quickly I, I got on the phone with her and we'd already had like a little bit of like a, a relationship beforehand, but I think she was, you know, you, you want to have a couple conversations about the Exploding Kids movie. <laughs> um, and, and so we had some really great talks just about like, you know, what the movie was about and uh, you know what the kind of uh approach to the movie um would be and, and i think you know kind of like thematically one of the things you know we talked a lot about I remember in those initial conversations was that it's not a movie about exploding kids it's a movie about when unexpected shitty things happen for no reason so that could be you know, your best friend getting hit by a car, your mom having cancer, you know, your dog dying, you know, it, like, it can just be like anything and not even death related. It can just be like, you know, that, I think one of the things that I talked to Catherine about, and she could probably tell me if I was, I'm full of shit right now. Um, but like when I moved out to LA, I, I worked really hard in school, was like really like gung-ho, like this is my, you know, I'm going to really crush it. And then I was like crushing LA for like eight weeks, but it was the summer of 20 or 2008. And so very, I got a couple of jobs um, and then the markets crashed and like everyone lost their jobs. I lost two jobs in like a couple of days. Um, and I remember like getting like that bitter, depressed feeling where I was just like, you know, I did, I worked my ass off. I got the good grades. Like I got yeah. the good jobs. I got the internship. I did everything I supposed to do. And then this other cataclysmic thing happens that has literally nothing to do with me. And it, you know, I was like thinking like, am I going to have to live in like the trunk of my car? Like it was like scary and, and, and confusing. And, but for me, I was like, that's kind of what spontaneous is about. It's like when this really terrible thing happens to you or to people that you love, and there's just no reason. Um, and that's what the exploding kids is about. It's it's just like that thing that happens that sucks and it's not fair and it's um you know it's it's this unavoidable awful thing and you have to figure out how to kind of put the pieces of your life back together. And I am so we talked about that a lot and I think that made her and all the other actors kind of buy in a little bit where it was that thing where it's like oh it's not the uh you know, it's not the goofy teen comedy of like kids exploding. It's, it's, you know, it's, there's a, there's, you know, uh, you know, the, the nutritional kind of thing that we're trying to, to get at, I guess, but we're just doing it in a way where, you know, I think 40 kids explode. Um, <laughs> so, um, so that was kind of the process with Catherine. And then, and then, um, you know, she's one of, one of my favorite people and favorite actors and, um, you know, I, she just could not be better in, in the movie and better to work with. And, and so I got, I got like, it was like the thing, like, I, I can't remember who I was telling, but it's the thing, like, especially on like these small indie movies, like you can really lose, um, lose a lot when, um, 
your actors can be difficult. <laughs> like you can just yeah. lose whole scenes of your movie because you're moving so fast. And just, I, you know, I got really lucky that like from Catherine down to like extras, everyone was excited and, and down to, to be there. And so making the movie was really hard because we had a lot of like weather issues and normal indie movie issues, but we didn't have, you know, delays because of actors or um, anything like that. And, you know, it's, it really, you know, it's probably five minutes worth of, of movie that you would, this, especially this movie would have lost if like we had people that were like, you know, a pain in the ass. <laughs> so um, it was, I got really, I got really spoiled and lucky by my kids and the adults in the movie too. Yeah. I mean, like I, I it's so important to have a, a team of people around you that understand the movie that you're making uh, yeah. and, and thinking on it. I, I can see how the script does a huge part of that right like so many of the tonal, tonal choices are like baked into the way the scenes are constructed and the attitudes of the characters and all that sort of stuff but then to have that layer of meaning that kind of laser focused like this is the heart of the story that you're able to pitch to them in conversation like the 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 bit that they may not be able to intrinsically feel when reading the script versus what they're definitely going to feel when they see the movie and uh, you've got the music and you've got the sound design and you've got all of that stuff at play. Yeah. It's quite the the pitch. And I will say just to like, you know, shine more light on, on your brilliance. Uh, you do that very well in this, but also in uh, Love and Monsters. Like there's a, there's like a, a, a thesis in these films that translates clearly to the audience, but it's one thing to say it. And it's another thing to feel it. And you definitely feel it at the end of this this movie, like by the design of the film, the story that it's telling and that sort of great closing monologue with the incredible music track and sound design and imagery oh, cool. and that sort of stuff. Like <laughs> you're shooting for some like really big concepts, you know? Right. Uh, in amongst this this movie that in lesser hands, yeah, could have been written off as like, oh, it's the Exploding Kids movie, you know, when, when that doesn't mean anything except shock value and- Yeah. Or something yeah i think you know i don't want to take all the credit for it because so take much it. of it no one else is in, here it's all you baby <laughs> but so much of it is in, in aaron's book um where you know so much of the movie is is lifted and i think that was one of the reasons why i uh, i was so drawn to aaron's book and and to aaron um was that it felt like I think this is really the only time that it's happened to me where I was like, I read the book and I was like, this is written for me to make a movie of like, it wasn't like I could do a really good job of adapting it. I was just, it was the kind of thing where I was like, no one else can make this movie. Right. Like it has to be me because it, it, it felt like it, it kind of hit like Aaron was, I felt like Aaron was doing a lot of the things that it makes me pull my hair out when other writers or directors don't do right like he was just kind of like i felt like he was like nailing every beat tonally um and i'm a real i'm a real stickler for for tone like i it's the thing that i think about the most probably especially for something as tonally uh wild as, as this um because i think you know a bad like this movie with bad you know like a couple bad moments of tone just it it, it ends it like where you're yeah. just kind of dead um and so it's like, you know, it, 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 it being that tightrope walk of um, a tone, but like the whole reason I wanted to make the movie besides like the, them the thematic stuff was because tonally it was so me. And so I think where other people 
like you said, would be like very like you know, would keep them up at night kind of thing. Like the tone was what I was like most excited about because right. it was kind of, and I think probably having had the experience on other of my movies where I felt like the tone was very low on the list of important factors, and then you know it kind of becomes a lot of noise. Um, you know, kind of chomping at the bit to kind of be like, this is a really strange tone and probably the, the most ambitious tone. You know, if I get to direct more movies that I'll, I'll ever have to deal with because it's, it's literally dealing with dying kids. Um, but, you know, it was like, if, you know, if we get the tone right, it'll, it'll be someone's favorite movie. Uh, and so I think that for me was the kind of thing where I was like, I don't know how many people this movie is for, but like, I know tonally I can do exactly what the book does so well. Um, because it, I felt like I'd been gearing up to do that for, you know, my whole professional life. See, if that makes sense yeah it does uh but here's my question you're a you're a busy guy uh how do you make the time to read this book like was it a submission or are you just like reading hungrily and you found the book and then you spearheaded this thing or producers just sending you galleys and you're like yeah i'll sit down and read this whole thing you know i think this one was nice in terms of i think it was competitive by the time i got it so it was like one of those like you have to read it immediate like you have to basically tell us tomorrow if you want to like throw your hat in the ring um which is like and that happens it hasn't happened to me a lot but it happens now and and again um and then i was kind of like uh like i was like (laughs) i didn't really want to do i'm just coming off of doing a um uh, a high school set pilot um that that the great matt shackman and i worked on together and um I was like, I don't really want to do like another high school thing back to back. Um, and so I was kind of like very much like, mm, like not, I mean, I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. But like, I, I am very uninterested, even though like the, the log line seems like kind of wacky. And then it opened, like the book opens the same way the movie does. And so I, you're instantly kind of like, you know, oh, this guy has a, a point of view and is totally you know really in the pocket for this kind of thing and then kind of reading it you know as it went on it was just kind of like that feeling like you're turning the page and you're like waiting for him to do something really stupid um and kind of you know i was like reading it with the intention like with the hope of like he would fuck up so i could you wouldn't have to read the whole thing go to bed <laughs> yeah. and i'll read like this 350 page book and then like you know you're reading it and you're just like oh no this is really good and like you start seeing like the scenes in your head um and um and then you know the third act stuff happens and then like i remember as soon as um you know the the big i don't, I don't want to spoil it in case people are like watching for the first time which would be weird uh, <laughs> they're sure your somebody, biggest fans like, they're the, like, the, i'm not the, gonna the, watch the, spontaneous until brian's talking over the top of it that's the time to watch it for the first time <laughs> but like the, when the third act of the movie is kind of revealed for what the movie is like it's it's the same thing happens in the book and it's like this moment of like where it really took the book in the same way where I was like, oh, this is like a fun macabre kind of high school romp where then like the book is like, this is what the movie is, or this is what the book is about. This is what the movie is about. You know, it it really is getting at some meatier issues. Um, And then that was, I was like, that happened. And I was just like, you know, I was like, I don't have to finish reading the book because, you know, he's 250 pages in. And I'm in, and then he like kind of reveals the ball game and you're like, oh, this is, you know, 
the, the, the perfect storm of like everything I was kind of conceptually interested in, both filmmaking wise and just like human wise. Um, and so, you know, Aaron did a lot of the heavy lifting. And then I think my job was mostly, you know, figuring out how to tell that in like 95 minutes and, and also having to visualize the incredibly upsetting things that he does in the book with, with, you know, the blood and everything. And so, you know, um, like I'm proud of, of the script, but I mean, it's, uh, so, so much of it is, you know, Aaron's book. And I, I feel like sometimes with, with adaptations like this, like you kind of feel more like, you know, an archeologist than like a, um, uh, you know, like an adapter or anything where it's, um, uh, this is the very last shot that we shot in the movie. Um, but, um, uh, but um, That's you a nice just way like to finish with a little hug under the lamplight. Yeah, was, there's supposed to be like a crowd of people running by, and then we just lost them for time and everything. So it's like it drives me a little crazy. Um, no, see, also... this is the thing, right? This is the director's dilemma. Like the audience would have no idea. No, no clue. The takeaway is completely different. It's just a different creative choice, right? Like I took that to be they and then these are all in my garage away. too. Oh, yeah, those uh, are keepsakes. You could make a fortune selling them on eBay. Yeah, my my wife made that one. Yeah, a bunch of the, <laughs> for a variety of reasons, there's a bunch of stuff in the movie that was shot in my garage like a year later, because um, we were supposed to ha have. Uh, I'll get I'll get to it, but I was saying about the archaeology, whereas like I felt like a lot of my job in adapting the the book was um, kind of like figuring out what elements I could keep and what I had to lose. And then how to like DJ then and rearrange them into something that resembled a, a movie more so than creating things kind of whole cloth. Um, and there are there's a bunch of stuff in there that is is not in the um, book, but you know even then it felt like kind of the thing where like oh in the adaptation process like these are the scenes that are the glue that are it's kind of combining Aaron's stuff. And then it's been nice like there's a couple scenes in there, um, including like the the really big kind of graveyard scene at the end that weren't in the book but Aaron like after reading the script like sent me these deleted scenes from the book that were oh. really similar <laughs> to um, some of the scenes and so it felt like we had a really great um, symbiotic kind of relationship where um, you know it was like that's you know I'm, I'm building off of the the mountain that he carved kind of thing yeah. Uh, can you fill us, will run us through like what some of the biggest changes were between the book and the film that we see? Yeah, I think, you know, just because Charlie is on screen, like I, I think probably the biggest macro change is I think Mara is really similar to how she is in the book. And like a lot of the dialogue she has is straight from the book. And I think Charlie in the, um, in the movie is really different than he is in the book. Um, and I, I think in the book, he kind of has a little bit more like a bad boy vibe. Like he has like a little bit of that, like, there's like a scene, I think his intro scene, he like just shows up at her house and was like talking to her parents. Um, and it's just kind of like, not like we're going to date now, but it's like, it has a little bit more of the, um, just like a little bit. And again, not like a bad boy. Like there's, I remember there's like a rumor that he like set a police station on fire once. And there's like a rumor that. He's the father of triplets, um, which there's a little line in the movie later on that kind of is a little Easter egg for that. Um, 
but like he was like just a little bit more like a bad boy like a little bit more of like a different kind of actor than than charlie and i didn't rewrite it for charlie at all but just in like writing the script and kind of knowing where the movie was going um i i i was just like i think charlie needs to kind of be like this the most like wholesome pure boy possible you just really have to be like there's again like again the spoiler territory there's just like like it, what happens could not happen to a nicer better person yeah um which felt like kind of what the movie was about and like my my wife um i've said this before to people but my wife describes charlie as like the boy she wishes she liked in high school right. um which i feel like is like the perfect way to like sum him up where he's like yeah he's not dangerous like or 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 bad or edgy at all but he is just like you know he's just like a hug that became a beautiful <laughs> young man um, like well it just, does like, fit with your th- your thesis right like the whole yeah, idea no, exactly. around bad things happen to good people well let's make you know spoiler yeah i think it's the thing where if like you have like the 350 pages like you can get kind of more real estate to kind of have like kids that are douchebags or like you know unsavory elements about some of these characters and like in this it was like really important to me that you like all the kids you're like that is a kid that does not deserve what is happening to yeah them. um and and also you know you know most of the kids you know cumulatively are only in the minute for like or only in the movie for like five or ten minutes um so that's like really not a lot of time for them to kind of make an impression yeah and then die <laughs> um and like so especially if you're like let's make these kids like you know problematic you know controversial characters like you really can't do that or else the movie suddenly becomes like morality thing um and then with charlie like you know he's also not in the movie as much as probably people think he is like i i think we timed it once and it was like i think there's like all together there's like 40 minutes of charlie in the movie or something like that um and so and it just felt like you know they meet and um you know I think the thing that stressed me out the most about the movie bizarrely was their relationship. Cause it was like, they have to meet, um, start kind of hanging out, fall in love and then fall really in love in like a 20 minute period, basically. And you have to kind of be like, yep, makes sense. Yeah. You know, you're really going along with it. Um, and so like, that was the thing I think I probably massaged and worked on a lot and with, with the kids a lot. Um, where it was just like, they kind of have to just kind of hit a lot of those boxes where like, it doesn't feel like it's um, like the movie's making them fall in love kind yeah. of thing. Like that's for me, such a, it's always like a, a turnoff. Um, How much um, was that changed? Like th- through the rehearsal process, if there was one, right? Like, cause I, you I think would... you need certain things and then you see these two in a room together looking at each other and you go, Oh shit. All right. Well, fuck, I don't need it this was... scene anymore. It was tough. I mean, it was tough because we didn't. We had like maybe like a day of rehearsals. Um, where it was oh, like, like ample, Haley. ample amount of time. Ample amount, yeah. It was like Charlie, Haley, Catherine, and my assistant Max and myself, like in our hotel, just going through um, the the script. Um, and um, and it was great and super fun. And I remember there was like this great. Like we were doing like a read through, and so Max was playing like all my assistant Max was playing all the other roles, and so we get to Catherine's big graveyard scene, and um, I've never actually asked Catherine, but like she threw down hard in the table read, just like 
tears, like going like full, like Academy Award worthy. And then like, you know, my poor uh, assistant, like trying to be like holding his own with a Golden Globe nominee, Catherine Langford, and didn't doing a good job. Um, but you know, it was the kind of thing, and it's it a credit to Charlie. Like I, I didn't meet Charlie in person until like a day or two before shooting. Um, uh, like we cast Dylan really late and um, Catherine actually got, I was already in, in, in Vancouver. So Catherine, I think flew out to have dinner with Charlie because we were having a really hard time kind of finding that pure boy kind of thing. Cause I think yeah. a lot of like younger guys now are like, you know, they're like ripped abs and they're kind of bad and they're kind of, they look like they're 30 when they're 18. Um, and it was just like really hard to like kind of find this guy. And so, um, you know, and I, I, again, I, I trust Catherine in all things. And so it was basically like, Hey, have dinner with Charlie and tell me he's the guy, like, I trust you. Um, and I, I, I had, this is before zoom, but I had had a phone call with Charlie and found him to be a delight and his lean on Pete's amazing. And, you know, he's, he's proven to be an amazing actor, but it was a little bit of like, um, you know, I was a little flying a little blind in terms of what they were going to be like together. Cause I'd never seen yeah. it. And Catherine called me after the dinner and was like, he's wonderful. Like he's, ex she's, she was like, trust me, like he's exactly what you want. Um, and I was like, great. Like, let's put him in the movie. And then he showed up and beyond being like, I think this is exactly like Charlie in the movie is exactly what Charlie is in, in real life. Like he's just a, a wonderful person. Um, and, um, but like, I feel like he really got how to be the supporting role to Catherine and not like in like a supporting actor kind of fashion, but kind of like he knew what the movie needed him to do yeah. in terms of be, I mean, his, even like his character is essentially in the movie just for Catherine. <laughs> like he doesn't have like a big complicated, you know, life or anything. He's kind of just mm. there to be supportive of her. Um, and he just kind of like got it and nailed it. And, you know, I think his mandate for me was like, you know, make her laugh as much as you can, because I think that will buy us a lot more than like the smoldering looks. Mm. Um, and like chemistry wise, I was like, if we just are like, Mara just loves being around this guy. Um, that's going to be so much more than like Mara wants to bone this guy. <laughs> um, and so I think um, oh, this scene was, the car scene was the worst scene ever, but um it's, was this well, a low yeah, loader? I'm sorry. Was it a low loader? Like, were you on a trailer here and like a um, big process yeah, trailer? It's, or? Uh, again, because we were running so fast. So, anytime that it's not just Catherine by herself, it's on the road. And then when it's Catherine by herself, it's green screen. Right. That we shot a couple weeks later for all the blood stuff because yeah. it was unsafe. Yeah. And then we didn't get, you know, firstly, it's a terrible scene to shoot with like Lane, who's wonderful. Um, and Catherine, because it's just so disgusting. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's just them screaming for like a couple of hours at a time. And, um, but then we also just had so little time to shoot it. So it was like, didn't quite get everything we needed. And so there was a lot in the edit of us trying to figure out like how to actually make a full scene of it. And it's like the thing you can't cut out of the movie, like at all. <laughs> like yeah. it's such a, um, key part in terms of the narrative um and um 
And so it was just a nightmare. Like, I think that this, that scene was the one that was like, this is way too ambitious for the budget and the time. And, you know, if I had to do it again, I don't know if I would have done that scene, but. Um, it's always know. so funny, right? When yeah. people come on and they tell us like, oh, this was the one we didn't have what we needed. And then of course, to the person on the outside, it's like, oh no, that worked. That totally worked, you know? Yeah, and, and it was weeks of, it was weeks of work, man. It was like, you know, we had a great, editor with steve edwards and then but like that was a scene like dan trachtenberg who i've known forever like came to the edit and really helped us out with that scene in particular just kind of being, and it was funny because like you know every shot is is money in that mm. sequence because there's like effects work and so and then we had literally no money as like the studios were imploding and and everything and so it was like kind of like you know what's the fastest way we can tell the scene um that feels like it's not you know like we're cutting corners but like it's like we have very little you know i i can't remember how many shots it was supposed to be when we shot it and then how many shots it wound up and a huge part of that was like the studio just being like you can't have these shots you can have these shots um wow and so it was you know you know that's that's the make well, a movie game smart though. choices um, in there right like it, it, it's ever you, you don't want to have the car crash scene that you just hear the screeching tires and then you cut to black right because right? everybody kind of knows that trick yeah but you have this great device which is the same sort of like cost effective savings are on offer you don't have to flip and roll the car right you're cutting away from the accident but you cut away to something that gives even more emotional impact which are these like beautiful uh yearbook photos images right yeah like, was that something that was that a device that you came up with to sort of solve that editorial no, problem or was that always in the <laughs> yeah the yearbook was in the script um right. and that for me was important because it was like you know wanting to again it was like that tone of like we are taking their deaths seriously but we're having a good time you know it's like a very <laughs> kind of strange kind of thing and that was kind of where i came up with like there's something very like cute and weird about yearbook photos in general that you kind of go along with it as it being like, this is weird and silly, but it's sad. Like there's mm. something just like, it's like this memorialized moment in time. Yeah. Um, and then in the car scene, like there was a bunch after lane explodes where Catherine's trying to get control of the car. And then again, because of finances, we just lost it. And it, it just felt like that punch of lane. Yeah, um, good choice. Exploding, you know, we were like, that's close enough that we can kind of get out of get out of jail a little bit but like there's so much like even in the middle of of things where like like lane's glasses are gone all of a sudden like there's a whole thing about Catherine taking off lane's glasses because she was in shock and and then it also becomes upsetting because her brothers just died and then it's like how again like how upsetting is our movie getting at what po point mm. and so there's a lot of like tonal control there and like this scene with Catherine and charlie doing the et thing that, that was like a big uh, Catherine and i talked about this a lot too where i was like this is you know, in the before times when this movie would have maybe played in a theater, like this is probably like a really funny scene. Um, but I was like, the whole purpose of the scene is that, you know, Mar is like this kind of acid, you know, uh, too cool for school kind of girl, but like to really make us go like, oh, like she really does care about this boy. Like she sees that he is really struggling in this moment and does what he's always been doing for her, which is like try to figure out ways to like make him laugh um and so it's like yeah it's a big goofy scene where they're doing the you know the et shit um but the whole thing behind the 
scene is that you're kind of really getting a sense of like Catherine getting how bad the situation is and then kind of seeing like how much this boy she's really falling for is struggling and being like what is the way that I can help him so she doesn't just just become like this character that's again like you know kind of over like not really dealing with everything that you're kind of finding like that was important to Catherine too like finally these moments where like everything that's happening you know it's starting to worm its way into her even though she's putting on this kind of cocky facade of um of not seeming like it is but like finding like these little moments where it's just like a couple seconds here or there where you're like this girl is you know there's a lot of trauma and pain going on that this girl is trying really hard to kind of like cover up with like Mm. instead of talking about this can we make out like can we drink alcohol can we do mushrooms like kind of like what are all these things she can kind of rattle off and do that kind of are giving her the escape she she needs because she's, she's like 17 years old she doesn't really have the uh the wherewithal to deal with these things and which is true of like you know i think any teenager when they're going through like the terrible things that they have to go through and then also Adults. you know when you're much older than a teenager where you're yeah. just like I, am, I do not have the uh the uh emotional strength to kind of figure out how to deal with this kind of tornado of trauma it's a uh i have to single out the the et thing too as a beautiful runner that has a great payoff right. like, uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't get it um uh and and which is fine which is fine but it was like the kind of thing where it's like the and it's funny it was like his, it was like, what's the, great thing about that the 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 headstone for those who didn't get it yeah is that it works either way like it's a funny yeah. thing to write on a headstone like just full stop and then it's a funny thing to write on a headstone at the tail end of this sequence you know where we set up the yeah, and it was, that was the headstone was like it wasn't written in the script. And it was the kind of thing where like, you know, they were like, you got to come up with a headstone. And then it was like, yeah, I think like the mock-ups were just like his name and the dates and all that shit. And I was like, it, can't, it could be better. Like it needs to be like, like this, his, like Dylan's whole character is, he kind of goes through the entire arc of the movie that Mara goes through, but he goes through it in between the first shot of the movie and <laughs> the scene right before the title card comes up. Um, so he kind of has like this immediate abridged version, partially because he's gone through trauma before. Um, and um, and so he's kind of like ahead of the game where he's like, I could die. And like, I was like, those things are like, what if you're like thinking like I could die any moment, it's like, what are the things that you're doing? And I think there, I had a couple ideas where he was like, he could write her a letter. And I was like, that just seems like bullshit. Um, and like those kind of messages beyond the grave thing always just, you know, it's, it's so um, cheesy and it also didn't feel like his character. And so it was like, what is the thing that can, well, we spoiled it now, but like, what is the thing that his grave can say that is really funny um, if you think about it one way, but then is also like directly for her. Like, it's like something that he's like, this is mm. absolutely just meant for this one person to eventually see and laugh and kind of know how I felt about them. And it was, it took a really long time. But then then, also make fucking perfect sense as well. Like, you know, as a headstone, it's not just some in joke that everyone that's walking by is going to be like, wait, what? Um, Yeah, and I'm not good at, I feel like there's strengths that I have. And one of the strengths I don't have is I like when it's like someone's like, we need a line for this very specific thing. Like, I feel like I'm good in like the macro of like building the script. But then when it becomes like, we need like this punchline kind of thing like I, I feel like it takes me longer to figure that out because like it really in my head because it has to be like 
perfect and I never think it's perfect. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, it took me a long time to kind of come up with that, which in the hindsight, you're just like, like what else could it have ever been? Um, but it was like, it was a lot. <laughs> it was like, yeah. that felt, yeah. Not this, easy stuff to do, especially when I assumed that those headstone mock-ups like got dropped on your desk on a Wednesday, you're three weeks out from shooting, or maybe it was the night before, like we've got to oh, go yeah. and I mean, it was this all headstone. Place, yeah. You've got a thousand things going on when you're directing the movie and they're like, oh, and also can you come up with something really funny, yeah. insightful and you want to point out too, just before the scene, I want to point out before the scene goes, like this scene with Catherine and Haley, I think is the only scene that's improvised in the movie. And it's almost all Haley who um, is one of the best improvisers I've ever seen. Oh yeah. And like I, pretty much everything else is like really scripted. And I can't remember what the scene was originally, but it like wasn't really working. And it was like, I didn't really have time to rewrite it. And then I was kind of just like, Haley, just, you know, go, go, go nuts with Catherine too. Um, and, and Haley just had such a, a, a talent for just being this great, beautiful weirdo. Um, <laughs> that they were like, they kind of like did it. And I was kind of like, I think that's going to be really good. So it's like really, the, I think the only improvised scene in the movie Um and uh and then Haley too like to her uh credit like when we first showed friends like the movie like everyone was like we need more Haley um and I was like we all of her all of Haley is in the movie <laughs> and so oh, wow. there's like a scene later on that was like a specific area where people were like why is there not more Haley in this specific area of the movie um where like Haley just came to our house um like months after we shot and I, I shot her um against like my daughter's bedroom door and we like slid it into the movie just to kind of like try to give people a little bit more Haley and like coming up here in a second too where where, like Haley's like taking pills like that was all like a reaction of people just being like give us more Haley um and uh you know which is always great when like you cast an actor that you never seen before in in anything and they just did like a great audition and then like everyone afterwards is just like who's that like that person is yeah we need more of her um and like Haley is is that person and then Um, a buddy I went to college with made this animated um little short for us which is almost identical to a pandemic commercial (laughs) that came out afterwards which was not the plan um it, it uh, definitely had a strange kind of resonance watching this in the middle of a pandemic, right? When yeah, we all felt like we were in lockdown. <laughs> well, what was the interaction from your point of view? Obviously, it's disappointing that it, it, it couldn't go to theaters and people couldn't go out and see it. But like, how has your view of the film changed in light of these weird times that we're living in? Um, it was interesting because it's... And before the pandemic, there was a lot of concern amongst people that the movie, I mean, and not unfairly, but like the movie talks about school shootings in like a very direct way. Um, like it's not like a one-to-one, but it's 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 mm-hmm. part of the DNA of the movie. And, um, and so, I mean, honestly, I think we probably would have had a better distributor if the movie came out during the pandemic um, or it did come out during the pandemic, but if like the pandemic, like I think if the movie came, finished now like we would have gotten a better distributor because now it's a pandemic movie like the school shooting stuff is there but like you know 
most people kind of drift towards that it's about a pandemic. I mean, we got, you know, vaccines, we got, you know, tents, we got hazmat suits, we got it all. Um, we actually cut like a scene where like Catherine was joking around with like a mask on. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's weird. It's like, you know, the movie's kind of gotten co-opted by this event that everyone in the world has gone through. And I have, you know, no say or control over it. Like I was done the movie before, uh, you know, March 13th or whatever. So it was like a very strange and, and weird zone. And the, the, this, this montage is, is, um, it's a real trip because so much of it is, um, you know, it's like when you can kind of see like a little bit of scope, it's it's Vancouver. And then anytime it's not scope at all, it's my garage because we had such bad, <laughs> we had such bad weather in Vancouver that we were losing scenes like every day. Um, so that's my garage. And then um, that's my garage. That's my, that's oh, Max wow. assistant. Um, that's Vancouver. I can just go through it. <laughs> no, please do. It's yeah. terrible, but we were, uh, that's my friend, Stephanie. Um, that's Vancouver. Um, uh, but we were like losing scenes every, that's my garage. That's my garage. That's Haley at my garage. Then this is all Vancouver. Um, and so, um, but we were losing stuff every day. So like the first thing that goes with like all the, like your montage yeah. bits. Um, and so, and then we we're always like promised. It was like, Hey, like we will reshoot that. And so we like basically like picture lock the movie and to the song and it's edited to the song. And then honestly, like no one would ever get back to me about like replacing right. or like putting the scenes in or the shots in. And so it was like a lot of like me being like, we don't own, like it was like all stock footage or like footage from like other movies. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, oh, we're, well, we can do like, I was like always promised this like pickup day and then no one was ever getting back to me. So Max and I just hired a DP um, and we like bought like plastic wraps and we just fucking did it. Oh, that's and then so no gangster. One, I love that. It is, but it's like fucking paramount. You know, it's like, you know, they, it's, it's not like a Frankie Ding place. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's like for us, it was like, we got to just get this thing done. I um, love that. I mean, I, mean, I don't also, love like, that it so happened like what to happened you, too, but... I want to shout out this band, like the song, that we originally had was the original or not the original, but the, the version of the song, they, the Bye Bye Love in um, all that jazz. And um, we had a great music supervisor, Lindsay Wolfington. And we got like Roy Scheider, like Roy Scheider sings the song at the end of all that jazz. And we got like his estate to approve it, like everyone to approve it. And then like, we were like locked. Um, so it was like really late in the game. And then we got like this letter back from like a woman that was like a background vocalist on it and she was just like hey thank you for reaching out like i know you asked for my permission but i can't give it to you because since making all that jazz and singing on that track like i found jesus and i only oh. let my voice be used to praise jesus and that song yeah. doesn't praise jesus so you can't use it and it was like again like this you know i'm sure she was you know an older woman now and like at least it was a very pure reason but we were like this scene is edited to the beat of this very specific song yeah um like and the characters are interacting with the song yeah <laughs> and so Lindsay found these, these this great band this local band who had done like some like songs for her before and they came in and they like like basically like, in a day like did a cover of the song for us and like plugged it into the movie with joe trapanese the composer and myself um and we were just like 
okay like great and it was like and i like it's great because it, it feels a little bit more modern than like the, the all that jazz version um but it was like it was like one of those things where like again like you get those curveballs in like the indie world especially like because we had such a bizarre kind of post with you know we didn't know who owned us for a while and like awesomeness kind of collapsed and then paramount acquired us but like paramount never watched the movie and like didn't oh. really put in any <laughs> it sounds like in- an important step in the process i don't know um who knows <laughs> but um and so it was like this thing where like you know we're all just like again it felt like very college where we're all like kind of like figuring out how to just like get this thing done um and also because i was you know a year into post i was going crazy because it was like you know, I, you get that sense like everyone just thinks the movie is bad when you're in post for so long. But I was like, I've only been in post for like eight weeks, but it's been like stretched out for like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, where it's like, you know, I didn't have access to do anything on the movie for like six months or nine months or whatever. So it was like this very bizarre kind of legal situation as like people were trying to figure out who owned the movie. But I, you know, I'm trying to like move on with my life and career. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, what can this I do? Sounds to like a nightmare. It? This yeah, is... it was awful. It was terrible. Like, I, I probably need a ton of therapy. Like, even like watching the movie now is, I'm sure you, in the Zoom, you can see I'm like looking off to the sides because it's <laughs> traumatizing to like watch it again. Well, that um, sort of preempts my next question, which is like, you know, like how much do you ride that roller coaster of the ups and downs of making a movie when you're doing it? And then how long does it take for the sort of seasickness to wear off when it's finished? It doesn't sound like it fully has, right? You're still kind of trying to <laughs> shake yourself free of this movie. Yeah, I mean, this one was really hard, man, because it took so, like, I mean, I had, um, like, my daughter was talking when the movie was released, and my daughter was not conceived when the movie finished shooting. Wow. Um, and so it was, like, such a long process with, like, so little work done in that long process where it just felt like this, like, you know, it was, like, this very, like, emotionally draining thing where it was just, like, you know, um you know like the 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 boulder on my back where I was like I can't you know and I tried to set up a couple other things to direct but it was almost impossible to show people the movie and so like everyone would just go like or it's probably terrible like he didn't nail the exploding kids tone (laughs) um and um and so it was like you know the kind of thing where it's like I felt like it was really hindering my um career in terms of being able to move on with my life or it's just like until this movie is out like even if it gets terrible reviews like like the unknown is so much worse yeah to people um so it was really hard and you know ideally i won't have that experience again you know especially as you know all the conglomerates are kind of owning more and more studios like there's just not that many more studios i can sell (laughs) so um so it was it was really it was really hard and i got really you know i was really well supported by you know obviously my wife um but also like the actors were always like everyone that had seen the movie was like really supportive like yeah. you know Catherine Haley Charlie all loved the movie like um you know Piper Rob like they were all always great and like the crew were always great um and it was just like so and like my assistant Max like you know he wound up having like the longest film assistant job it was like three and a half years that he just like made out like a bandit but like he was also <clears throat> he got promoted to being a producer because he basically produced the whole movie single-handedly wow. <laughs> uh, which is great for an assistant yeah to do. But it was also that kind of like you know that bizarre world to be in where you're just like you know we are 
at a major, you know, one of the major film studios and we can't find an adult. Yeah, dude. I'll tell you like this, I don't want to like rag too much on the mountain, but um, (laughs) there's this one call we had where there's a bunch of calls where I was like just begging for money and like not for like more things, but like I need to have sound design at some point in the process. Yeah. Um, And then like we have like calls for like these financial uh yahoos that were like well what do you need sound for and you're just like you know it's it's hard to explain to people that don't make you get a lot of headlines putting out a silent movie in 2020 it's a brave choice but it's like and it's like that thing too where like you just you get really when you're not hearing back from people and no one's really doing their job to put it bluntly um uh you get really down like you're just like this movie how bad is this movie that i made like i have no idea but like everyone just must hate it um because it's like it should not be this hard like why am i like arguing with people about like yeah, why i get I, I want like you know why i don't want like a freshman ucla student to do my entire sound design um and um <laughs> there's one call where i was just like so this these effects need work like i need money to like do the effects work and like the guy i can't remember who it was the guy on the phone was just like well what do you like need the effects work for and i thought he meant like specifically and so i was like you know a couple of these kids that explode they just isn't there yet like it just you know it's it's like got like one pass and i just need more money to have more passes and the guy was just like wait kids explode in this movie <laughs> and it was like that thing where you like instantly it was like a little bit of like a weight off my shoulders where i was just like oh it's like you guys don't hate the movie you just don't give a shit about the movie because yeah. it's like there's no world in which you watched 13 seconds of the movie and we're like i don't like this it's not for me and turned it off before kid exploded yeah. like again like the movie reveals that a kid Yet again that choice is uh is paying dividends yeah but it's like great it was like so whenever anyone and it happened a couple of times where like people like some people would be like what and you're just like <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's in like, the synopsis dude like, yeah but it's like oddly for me it was like oddly reassuring and like calming where i was just like it really has nothing to do with quality like just yeah. at all at this place like it's just it's a item that is asking for money on a spreadsheet somewhere and that is like the extent of the creative yeah, this guy's job is to give you as little money as possible yeah it's, that's like the extent none. of the creative uh, passion that paramount so how did this come to first. pass like what, did paramount acquire it at some point or was it paramount from yeah, so its inception was, or, it sounded like somebody went bankrupt somewhere in there which has been known to happen yeah so like problems. It's, it's very it, i'll try to not drag it out but the studio that made the movie awesomeness um was owned by comcast and comcast I believe acquired them when they acquired DreamWorks Animation. Um, and so like I, originally like Awesomeness was like a huge like $400 million kind of company. And then we kind of saw the ship sinking like before we made the movie. And like they had a great, I gotta say like Awesomeness had this great guy running it, Jordan Levin, um, who was great, like love spontaneous. Um, I, I found to be like the my favorite like studio head to work with ever where he'd like would, challenge me but like in a way where i was just like yeah like let's make it better kind of thing it wasn't like these are dumb notes it was just like could this scene be better and like we would like hash it out and talk about it kind of thing and then kind of um while we were in post uh comcast sold uh awesomeness to viacom for 15 million dollars and then laid off everybody basically including jordan which was really hard because he was kind of like our, our champion 
Um, and then uh, there's like this period of time where no one knew who owned, it was like us and I think two or three other movies that, that were in the can or were like in the process of finding a can to go in. Um, and then there was like this legal period where like no one quite knew who owned the movie. And when no one knows who owns the movie, no one's to pay for the movie because they're yeah. just like, I might not be the person that uh, is doing that. And so I had really strong opinions about where I didn't want to wind up as a movie and I lost. Um, and and so then we kind of were in like the, the Paramount rabbit hole and then Paramount, again, like it's not like anyone at Paramount specific fall, like, but Paramount acquired or re kind of remarried CBS. And so they started laying off like a ton of people that were, including people that were working on the movie. Um, like our, our, we had a great post supervisor, Jess, um, and they like laid her off like right before she could uh, um, deliver the movie. And it was like, it's no one's fault. Like, again, it's like the spreadsheet kind yeah. of wall street kind of thing where like my, my manager put a, a great way once where he like, he was like, for, like losing his his shit because everything was terrible. He's like, I'm gonna go call and yell at them. And he like got off the phone with me, called me back in five minutes, and he was like, I got them. Like the reason they haven't replied is because they got laid off yesterday. So <laughs> I kind of like started like being angry, and then they were like, We're really sorry, we don't have a job anymore. And then he was like, Well, now I understand why they didn't reply to your emails. This is my wife's hand doing the jukebox too. Like that's an insert we shot. Yeah. Dude. Um. um and then, um, and so it was like this kind of like this like just really drawn out awful thing where it's like, you know, it'd be one thing if there was like a bad guy, like if there was like, just like someone at Paramount was just a piece of shit. Um, and there wasn't though. It was just like this kind of like everyone, it was like every couple of weeks, it felt like we had to kind of like reintroduce the idea of the movie to someone new. And then eventually that person would just move like or get laid off. Real Kafka nightmare you found yourself in. It's like the, the, yeah, the, the layoffs system going is the round enemy. And, and so it was like this kind of thing where it was just like, you know, and then eventually, you know, I think the pandemic just made them super, like every studio, like super broke and need to release things. And then they eventually were like, I think we found out like four weeks before it came out that it was coming out um and it was like oh, man. great like i was like thank god like just let it be over <laughs> so, this sounds like um, a wildly unfairly traumatic experience for a film that's really good you know like you you, you. I you mean, went yeah, we and did really, something we really difficult hard. and and nailed it you know and i think the reviews bear out that yeah, the review, i mean the reviews were like a scary weird thing right because it was like um uh no like I personally knew every single person that had seen the movie until like the movie was shown to critics. Like there was no test screenings. There was no yeah. anything. And like, even like, again, like I, as far as I know, no one at Paramount has watched the movie. Um, and so there was no like person that I was like, what does this person think of the movie kind of thing? Um, and so I genuinely was like, I have no idea how this is like, I have no frame of reference for what the movie is or how it will do. And, and then, you know, to get the reviews, that we got it was like a, I don't want to say validating because I always assume the worst but like it was it was a nice ending to like a very like drawn out and, and bizarre journey <laughs> where yeah. it's like okay like I didn't like blow my career by spending like thousands of dollars trying to finish this movie that no one would finish for me um so it was you, like okay 
throw yourself a little uh, premiere on location, so to speak, in no, your garage? No, dude, I'm so sick of this thing. Like, I just couldn't. <laughs> I could. And it was like October, I think it came out, where it's like, I just couldn't get into. I, I was just like, just let it be done. And uh, I hired a publicist and did like the round of, of, of press to like try to like get it out. And again, because I like I knew Paramount weren't going to do anything. Uh, so the, uh, this, so, is, this is the theme, yeah. It's so heartbreaking, but, um, you know, like that... It, that feeling like you've created this thing right and then you lose touch with it like it's out there like a, ch- a lost <laughs> child and you can't kind of put your hands on it and kind of help it to where it needs to be through yeah, that post process when if we live in an era where you could have edited this on your laptop right like you could have mm-hmm. like if you just had the rushes if they'd just given you the footage you could yeah. you could put all of that love and attention in f- for free if you cared to if you could just get your hands on the clay yeah yeah for it was yeah sorry i'm watching this it's, i like actually like this scene <laughs> so well, you should like different. all of the scenes that lead up to it too but this is this is powerful you know this sort of like yeah this was like culmination the, here where everyone's running around and and the, the the snooze pills not working quite as well as promised and everybody's blowing up suddenly yeah and this was like it was like i think this is the scene that scared everybody and i think also scared buyers away um where it was like you know we're leaning into the uh the allegory, I guess. Um, But it's also, you know, it's part of the book. And it was also like, you know, I think for me, it was like that moment where like the movie needs to become so bad that it breaks her. Yeah. Um, And like going through like this thing where, you know, and again, it's like finding like the tone where you can kind of not like get laughs necessarily, but like, again, you're not trying to be Columbine to put like bluntly. And so we have like this great, which again is from the book and we had the Braden Shrimpton this local Vancouver guy who just like over delivered for us every day and so it was like finally these kind of like weird little side kind of stories to tell and I think it's three different schools that we like stitched together um because like some schools like very specific places you could put blood or not put blood <laughs> um, right and yeah, then, I mean, that's a whole thing right to convince a location to say can we come is what I mean I yeah. think it's the right creative choice to sort of reference school shootings because that is the the horror the shadow of horror that so many high school students sort you just of can't you just under. can't do that scene in a lev- in a light-hearted way and then and this this is like you know you know the happy accidents was this wall which yeah dude. aaron morton and i the dp uh kind of fell in love with this idea and i i think i scripted that the wall was like red but then we just found this school that had like this red wall and then all of this stuff with charlie was was super scripted and I remember like they kept trying to get me to show Charlie explode. And I was oh. like, no, like it's, it's a red screen. And for a long time, it was just like a, like an MS paint red screen kind of thing, like just red. And then um, a couple people kept thinking it was like a glitch. Um, and they were like, can it be like a little bit of a textured red? And then, um, you know, and so like the whole movie, you know, changes. And then this was a nightmare issue because Vancouver is awful paparazzi um, laws. And so yeah. basically anywhere off camera is like just people yelling at Catherine. And it was, it drove me insane, especially because it's like such a hard scene for her to do. And then Yvonne had to come in and do a bunch of stuff too. Um, and she did, she's great. Others oh, me, but, um, uh, <laughs> but um um but yeah it was it was really tough and then this was this is piper's first scene and this is at a, this this bathroom's at, at a school so we were kind of shooting it all back to back kind of stuff and um 
I never met Piper before and I never worked. I mean, I just loved her um, as an actress. And it was the kind of thing where I was like, it's a really hard scene to come in and as your yeah. first scene. And also it's, you can't really reset the scene or cause we just didn't have the time to reset. Yeah. Cause so much of the movie is anything time, anything is wet. You have to reset. And so like every, I think every time in the movie that there is blood, it's the first take. Um, cause we just were like, we can't oh, shower. So like we have to go. And then with Piper, I was like, just cause I didn't know her at all. I was like, man, I'm really nervous that like this actress is going to come in and like make the scene about her. Mm. It's like my daughter, you know, just kind of like really losing it. And I'm like, if the scene's all about Mara, and I like, talked to Piper for maybe like two minutes before the scene. And it's like kind of like that nervous system where I'm like, if Piper, you know, does it wrong, like she has to like get dry. And like, that's like an hour. And I don't know. And Catherine's so like, I have nothing to shoot. Like maybe I can like shoot. The light like, going down roll. the drain and like, you know. Yeah. And then it was amazing. Like she just like went in and did like everything I wanted. Um, and it was funny. It was like, you know, growing, growing up, like loving Piper Parabo. And then um, uh, I remember like before, right before the, she's in the scene, like I like gave her some kind of like direction. She's, she's like, you got it, sir. And I was like, <laughs> I've never like being called sir by Piper Parabo was like a defining moment in my life. Um, and it was like, probably, it was like bizarre. Like the first time I felt like a director maybe where I was just like this person, Damn right you know, is like, you got it. And then like, did it. Um, Cause like the kids, you know, I'm older than like most of the actors in this movie. And yeah, so like, there's a little I, bit of, you know, you, you come with the natural. You better part. respect me. Respect yeah, your elders, yeah. man. Um, but then, you know, um, having like people that I've admired and like Rob, I was a huge human giant fan. Um, and so Rob too, like there was like, I was a little like intimidated and like, again, like this is the scene at my daughter's bedroom with Haley. Oh, yeah? Like Haley's hair is totally different, so we were like, just put her in a hoodie. Like I don't know uh, what to do. That's really smart. And then this video of Charlie is me and Charlie went bowling, and so it's me filming shit on my it's a phone. Good ball. It's a good ball, right? And there. Uh, and it's Canadian bowling. It's like the the little bowling kind of thing. And so and I can't remember what I think originally it was like pictures that we were gonna put there. We never wound up taking the pictures. Um, uh, and, um, See, this is probably uh, this, this, this is my favorite scene in the movie. I or I think because well, it was the hardest scene because um the, the cocktail scene um uh where um it was like how do you reset after charlie dies and tell the audience that the movie's a not over and b it's not going to be the most depressing movie yeah. ever um and so it was like there was a lot of thinking about like what goes into that and i had been describing the movie to people like as i was writing it as like it's like a really weird cocktail um and um and so, and we had like the device of like her talking to the camera a couple of times. Um, and I was, I can't remember, it was probably like, you know, my wife or someone watching like a cooking show where they're talking to the camera. And I was like, that's a really funny way for <laughs> us to be like, she's in and a bad place, really funny. And then the payoff of having Rob um, kind of be there too. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's probably like the scene, like that, like the graveyard scene or like the dramatic scenes where I'm the most proud of where I was like those kind of it's like those scenes that could only exist in this movie kind of thing um that was to me the, the exciting part about being a director I was like totally like this scene feels like it's the movie like in a nutshell where it's like really funny and really sad and kind of fucked up yeah. and uh again like 
you know, um, it can only kind of exist in this one moment in yeah. this one movie. I mean, I have to say that the scenes with with Mara's parents are incredibly well devised. I mean, they're oh, well yeah. performed. <laughs> you know, they're incredibly well performed too. But you get so much bang for your buck from them. Like, and it was something that I noticed time and again. You know, like uh, going right back to when we meet them for the first time after the first kid explodes, and Mara exits the school and she says, "I'm not going to school tomorrow." And Piper mm-hmm. says, "No, no shit." you know, or something like that. But it's that contrast between just how honest they're willing to be and how close they are alongside the the obvious affection and concern that they have, you know? And right. like it, it, it feels like her parents are real pe- people with yeah, their own it's... full lives. Uh, they're not just stock characters designed to give Mara, you know, uh, likable relationships or, or, or um, identifiable relationships. They're like real people. But you also don't, spend a ton of screen time with them because the and it's, it's, it's honestly it. it's one of my regrets of the movie is i feel like especially piper i feel like i wish there was like one or two more scenes with especially piper like i think rob has a like a little bit more screen time than, than piper um and it was like things i think there was a couple scenes with piper that got cut like right before we shot just because we were like losing days and and that's just how it is and it's like and I think now too, like before, again, like before I was, or when I made the movie, I wasn't a parent and now I am. And so like, I feel like as a person, I've gravitated more towards Rob than Catherine. <laughs> and so it's like an interesting kind of uh, place to live in where I'm like watching the movie now and I'm like, what's that dad doing? Like, that's my guy. Like, that's, that's where I'm clued in. Um, uh, which is just a funny part of like, you know, being, you know, the movie is kind of like this stuck in, you know, it's the, uh, you know, how old was I? 32. Um, you know, it's like 32 year old Brian crystallized and then past that, you know, it, it kind of just stays as 32 year old Brian. Um, and then, uh, you know, and again, like this scene is like another one of those examples of like, what are like these things that she can do that feel funny and, and, you know, uh, unique but don't suggest that she's okay and don't suggest that she is um over dylan because i think for me a lot of like the movie um a lot of the third act you know i was like i really don't want to montage dylan away um and i got you know i got a couple notes about like you know like making the third act shorter and we did shorten it a bit but i was like i think for me like the movie is about this person that is like keeps looking for a way to feel better and just cannot find it yeah um and i was like that's really hard to do in a montage but also like what are these ways that she can do things that are destructive but you're not just like full of despair like it's not like you know uh 21 grams (laughs) or something (laughs) um and so it was like finding like those moments with Catherine, like and Catherine just like broke that door too. Uh, I was about to give her mad props for some great physical comedy acting right there, but I, I she mean, really it was. Is, it is her, but like she was just, I think she did it by accident once and then was like, I'm going to go through that door because it's going to be really <laughs> funny. And she didn't, I don't think she told me. And then I was like losing it. It's like that thing where I was like, oh, she fucked up the take. And then I was like, no, it's really funny because she kept like just like fighting this door. Oh, and um, just like cavalierly stealing two bottles of something alcoholic. Uh, yeah we cut there's like a little bit in there that we cut where there's like this again like this great local actor where she like is stealing them and the guy's like are you stealing those and she was just like yes yep. and it was like 
there's a if we had a little bit bigger of a budget, like you know, I think one of the things that got cut because of the budget and because of time and and the dwindling studio resources was like you know it's hard to kind of get a sense of how the town is going and we had like kind of like these runners of like townspeople kind of being terrified of the kids just because they were like yeah i don't know how to deal with you but also i don't want you to die in front of me yeah. um and so like when she has like the graveyard scene at the end there it's kind of like an emotional thing because it's like someone wanted to actually get really close to her and it had been like a little bit of time and so it's, it doesn't really come across in the movie um now but it was like one of those things that just kind of felt like a little incomplete in like the first cut um and so like these little ideas got jettisoned here and there um he on screen we're seeing another one of these like really smart exchanges that i was talking about like the idea that piper turns her back and is like you know not going to give her the satisfaction of seeing her upset but is also like uh, you know, can't look at her right now because she's getting upset or like whatever like there's, there's a lot going it, on there and it's encapsulated in like a three second kind of little moment and i think you no know, it's funny i fucked up so badly as a director that i didn't realize it until post um was and i still can't believe this happened and like no one called me on it um but when charlie finds Catherine in the river um he did the same like he starts crying and he gets really embarrassed that Catherine is seeing him cry and he like turns his back on her and like she kind of hugs him from behind and then he turns and hugs her and I was like, I think it was like basically like the first cut of the movie I was watching it. And I was like, wait, I did that fucking thing twice. <laughs> it took really long for me to realize it. Um, and then I was like, I can't have like, like, I was like, I can't have Charlie and Piper do that. Um, and so we had to like figure out a way to cut around Charlie because we couldn't cut around um, Piper. And it's more impactful when it's Piper too. Yeah. Um, and oh, it was dude, just, I think you, it's just it's totally understandable you have probably had quite a bit on your plate during the making yeah and, and that the river scene too there was so like on the other again it's like anytime off camera is either a lot of snow or a lot of paparazzi <laughs> and the paparazzi are just nightmares and like it was awful um but this scene this scene is also my favorite uh sequence in the movie I think mostly the Julian Baker song is great but it's like the whole thing is like this really happy accident which i think this is probably like the oh, one time my we favorite had shot right here by the way yeah, it's like the one time we had a happy accident where we were supposed to shoot the swing set scene that happens next uh now and um so there's like a swing set near the school and it was like raining it was like there was for whatever reason we could not shoot that swing set at that and it was like 30 minutes beforehand and we found out we couldn't shoot it but we had Catherine, and we had the wall and it was supposed to be like a kind of a quick like look she looks at it and then goes kind of thing we were like well we have her for like 30 minutes um and so we were just like it was like aaron morton the deep, the wonderful dp and myself and Catherine, and we were just kind of like all right let's go and then um aaron like knocked it out and i was like well this is really good and so we just kept like for like 20 minutes we kept shooting Catherine at the wall because we had yeah. nothing else we could do and it was like the end of the day also my garage um because <laughs> we were like we need like we had like a, a a short daylight scene in between these two scenes um where Catherine took her sats in the middle of a field um with the other students um yeah. and it felt like uh a little too much healing too soon for her to take a test um so it was like one of the first things we cut it was like really short but we cut it and it was like uh we showed the to people and people were like why does she like change her clothes and then go to like they thought it was like the same day and so it was yeah. like how do we like 
and with no footage and no actors be like it's a different day yeah, <laughs> so tricky. My, my my wife helped uh and my wife's a great uh, production designer and uh art you know graphic designer and, and we built this thing in our garage we're like it says prom and there's balloons i don't fucking know um <laughs> and, and went off um and then this scenes i'm also really i'm happy it's funny it's like a lot of the third act stuff i'm like this is I made the movie for like the third act stuff. Like, and again, I love all the Charlie uh, stuff, but I feel like the um, there's less visual effects and like less stuff I had to like worry about. It's more like right. actors acting. And I'm like, yeah, this is my shit. One thing we haven't really <laughs> talked about, like what, you know, were the points of nervousness. You mentioned that tone wasn't something you worried about, but this still was your first movie. Like what, what was, what were the hardest parts of taking on that mantle for the first time? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I think it was I'm trying to think of like how to I mean, making the post was the worst part. And then I think there was the nightmare I had that didn't come true because no one watched the movie where I was really nervous that I'd be really proud of the movie and no one else like on a studio side would be and would be like, we got to change it kind of thing. Like I was really, yeah, that's, I think that's scary. also why there's a lot of, my wife calls that out. There's a lot of swearing in the movie. <laughs> And we were, um, I met like with someone at a studio beforehand that really wanted to buy the movie. And I, they, had, they gave me a really bad meeting. And I was really nervous after the meeting that someone would figure out a way to kind of, you know, make them kind of poof or go into like bubbles or something and not like blood or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we leaned hard on like making it kind of like era placeably r-rated yeah <laughs> uh, probably like a little too much because we were all like kind of nervous that like some someone could acquire because again we were like an indie and so like we we're like what happens if someone acquires the movie and goes it's too bloody like let's fix this so it was like what is the way that we basically can scare away everyone <laughs> um so that was like a point of nervousness that never really came true because we kind of dealt with it and then but it's interesting that those are yeah. the things that you highlight and none of the like the night before I've got to show up on set and tell everybody what to do and everyone's looking at me and I've got to make my days like you know you're you're focused on the the end result and like whether that's going to meet your expectations and whether you've got the right partners but maybe you felt really ready to like command a crew because you'd been a part of so many I, other I felt productions ready. Or... Yeah, I felt ready. I loved Catherine and Charlie and like, I loved all the actors. So like, and like Catherine is such a, like Catherine should have been a producer on the movie. Like she basically was. And so like having like the person that is in every single scene be like your partner, it's, it's, it's so invaluable. Um, so I wasn't like super nervous cause we had such a great shorthand. Um, and then I was really close with the DP. Um, so I felt really good. I think there was a lot of like the financial stuff um where it was just like you know do we have the money to make this look like a professional movie like that that got stressful a bunch um and then um the weather the weather was so apocalyptically bad and then that was really hard where and it kind of influenced even like how the camera moved because like anytime anyone's outside like we're just like hiding snow like at the graveyard scene coming up like almost all of it is on on a cement floor um because we just the graveyard snowed out um and again it's like 20 i think we had 21 days of shooting and i probably got in terms of like 
I probably lost like a good day and a half to like weather kind of stuff, which is wow. death on a movie like this. How many days shooting did you say? It was tw- 21 with 21 blizzards. Days blizzards, with blizzards and rain. So 21 and then, minus and then Catherine, one. And then Catherine for so much of the movie it, when she's outside is not dressed for winter because it's the end of this. It's, you know, it's, you can't get around the fact that you graduate in summer. It's a high school senior year movie. You have to have prong. You have to, you know, I, I as like, a, right. Like I like hitting like the, you have to have these moments. Um, and so it was like, you know, I can't have Catherine like walking around in May in like a coat but it's like literally like a blizzard around her oh, man. and she's like shivering. And again, like such a trooper. Like I was, my big part of nervousness was that I was going to give Catherine pneumonia. Um, <laughs> and, but like, and like, again, like if that happened on like day three, like the movie just would not have completed. So it was a lot of like me, like wrapping Catherine in like coats and like making sure she was warm. Um, wow. And then, you know, I was nervous. Like, I don't want to say I was like nervous about like people liking the mo- I wanted to like the movie myself because I think I I'd had a bunch of stuff get made, you know, probably all the stuff I had gotten made to varying degrees where I didn't like qu- parts of them. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, I was like, if I just have like one movie where down the road, um, you know, when I have kids and grandkids or whatever, I'm like, I like this movie. Like that felt like a really big um thing that i didn't have especially as someone who has had a couple of the credits get made that i've had where i was like this very frustrating feeling where especially in my spec work um where not feeling like the things that have my name on them really represented the best of what i could offer whether you liked it or not you know Uh, and so this being something where i was like i as long as i like the movie and i'm like okay like you know my daughter when she's however old can watch this movie and i can be like this is you know this is it like this is something i made that i'm i'm good with you know that was for me like kind of like the goal and i do really like i like the movie i'll probably never watch it again <laughs> not until you it. show it to her in 18 years time oh, oh yeah hopefully I'll, I'll probably just be dead by then she can watch it and miss me <laughs> but um but yeah so like every so like this is Catherine in like a warehouse this, this is where we shot the tents um and then this is like the football field where the kids died um and uh and so and yeah so much of this is not there's like i think we got like three shots at the real graveyard until they shut us down and that was like after like we like cleared snow for like three hours oh great that was like one of the that was one of the areas too where like the studio imploding was so detrimental because we couldn't find anyone to call about overtime um and especially for like acts of god kind of overtime where we're like we could not shoot for four hours and it's the biggest scene of the movie kind of thing. Um, wow. So this is all a warehouse floor that we just like put like sod down on. <laughs> and then um, we did, we shot a bit of Catherine's side of, of this. And then it was just such a disaster because she was so cold and um, and everything. And then this is the great Shayla Horsdale, Horsdale's scene um, who's, I, I wasn't super familiar with until she auditioned and is now like one of my all-time favorite actors. And she's amazing on oh, Man in the High Castle. Um, and she's like one of those, you know, actors where all of a sudden you're like, oh, this person is, you know, the best actor alive. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have a, an inane question, right? Like I, yeah. something that I thought 
works so seamlessly but i was like in any other movie it would have been like a real like oh how do we solve this this woman that we've never met shows up on screen and yeah. mara goes hi dylan's mom and it like sounds perfect coming from Catherine Langford in a Brian Duffield script. But I was like, if was there a version where she didn't say hi, Dylan's mom? Because that's a hard thing to explain to the audience otherwise. Like, who is this woman and why is she, she lying down on the grave? Yeah, like Mara? she shows up. So she like Shayla's at the diner when Dylan's telling his story and Catherine bites uh Jed. <laughs> so she's there out of focus. And then she's at, she picks Charlie up from the tents and you, we ADR Charlie saying, mom. Um, and then we were supposed to have like a little scene where like the parents all met and it was like, we didn't wind up shooting it. Cause it just was like, oh, it's not going to work. Like, it just feels like you're, you can't like leave the tents and then have like, these are our parents, you know, it was just yeah. like, you just gotta like go home. Um, so we didn't wind up shooting it. And then we were going to have us, we were scheduled to have a scene where like when Charlie finds out that Catherine was in the car crash where he like, finds out and like goes and like she's going to be there and then that got cut for time and because we didn't really need it and then um i she's think at his grave. side note i think it's better that you've never yeah, met it before right guess, like, it's, it's like kind of things, beautiful it's like, it's like these like little moments that where shayla was supposed to kind of show up in um and then it kind of was like we and we and also snow kind of i think killed one other example like she might remember um, and then like, this is like basically like the second to last day or last day. And like, this is also like a in sequence of the movie reshoot because the first time we shot or we were supposed to shoot it, it like got snowed out. Yeah. And I think she was still on man in the high castle. She had like one day. So we had to like re juggle everything. Um, and it was like, she could have said no. And like, it was just such a champion of the movie and it was the best. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was like not, the plan um and it was just like you know how do you kind of get away with it as best as you can like it's like if i if i you know could make the idealized version of the movie like she would have been placed in the movie well, no, I, I get my point yeah. like you know the the i think it's I, I i when i say i think it's better i don't just mean because oh it would have been di difficult to justify those earlier scenes and you cut them for the right reasons like you know we don't want to stop and meet the parents after they get yeah. let out of the tents uh, I mean, it's better because it sort of shifts Mara's and the audience's perspective, right? To basically going like, yeah, it's shitty, but you're not alone. Like, yeah. yes, bad things happen to good people, but we're all in this muck fight together. And, yeah. and like, kind of like broadening the perspective of the movie for the audience. Like, oh, oh yeah, like what's going on in Dylan's family uh, for the first time? Like raising that question to the audience as Mara yeah. is sort of consoled and and kind of lets her know she's not going through this pain on her own and that her mum has her own struggles too separate to that. I, I think yeah. it's like, like thematically was, really rich. Like it's really <laughs> good. Uh, you know, no. I, I think it's, you know, it's funny how that can happen. Like you can have other plans and then circumstances sort of push you in one direction. But I think it's really rich. Uh, uh, you know, my thing was like, you would have found a way to make it work no matter what. But I just could imagine that, like hi Dylan's mom line in a script in any other script I would have gone like that's wildly expositional but because of like Mara's character <laughs> like that sounds like the way that she would describe her like she's not going to call her Mrs. whatever or you know yeah it, it's, it works, works out advantage. because they never they never meet until now and so it's like this idea of like she knows what she looks like at least in yeah the movie 
Um, so it's like she, you know, you can find Shayla around Catherine in the movie. Um, and I think too, Rob brings up um, when Catherine's about to hide under the bed that like she like that Shayla calls Catherine. Um, yeah. So there's like a little bit there, and like like Rob also um, calls her Dylan's mom. Um, <laughs> and so it's like you know it's this kind of thing where I don't. I have no idea what her character name. I think it's Denise, maybe, um, because like castings, like you can't just call her like in the script it just says like <laughs> Dylan's mom as the character name, and then you like you can't like no one will want to do it if it just says Dylan's mom. And so like Piper and Rob also have like character names, and I have no idea what oh, they I are. Can tell you, like, I wrote them down. Mom. It's Dad. Charlie and Angela. Cool. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's from the book. Um, I might have asked Aaron, but like in the script, I just wrote mom and dad. Um, cause you know, she only calls them mom and dad. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but it was, you know, it was great to have this actor again, like this, the right actress who gets that the scene is about Catherine and isn't like my son and previously my husband are dead. You know, it's, it's, mm. she does, she got that it was like this huge act of like self it was like selflessness on one hand. And then it was also like, she knew how much Dylan loved this girl and like that Dylan would love that if she was taking care of this girl. Yeah. Um, and so oh, it's like also like things she can do for her son. And so like finding like an actress that could like keep the scene. It's, and it's a really long scene. I think we only cut out like a line or two of it. Um, and it's like an actress that can, and like I pitched it to them I was like this is like the meet you like this is like the romantic comedy scene where you guys are meeting and falling in love um but also you're just crying because Dylan is dead <laughs> um and so um and this is like a pickup we did like right before we wrapped too where I realized we never took Catherine's bandage off um and then again you just get Catherine Langford and you're like yeah beautiful performance take uh take the bandage off and she you know kills it um and then um so yeah and then it was um you know we we, we somehow got it done i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to mention you know the catherine has a great scene uh on the grave and you know it feels like we turn a corner towards healing uh we do see a beautiful shot of catherine literally healing uh but right before yeah. that uh she comes home to her parents and and there's that beautiful warm light coming through the window uh, yeah. and it felt like a chance to talk about your cinematography and cinematographer yeah as we reach the closing moments of the movie was that a lit moment like did you go okay we yeah. gotta stop everything and light this for that beautiful golden light or did you I go think, no we gotta I mean, get up early plan, and shoot that yeah the, the plan was definitely that the movie gets dimmer after charlie goes um, and again, like, I think, again, it's like the kind of thing, if I had more money and time, like it would probably have been even of a bolder contrast. Um, but um, I was like, definitely like the movie should feel like it loses a little bit of personality in terms that of like- Dylan the Luster. Yeah, the Dylan Luster. Um, and then kind of as she's kind of gearing back up, it starts getting a little bit more- um, warm and healing and also but like so much of it's just like you know shooting in january in vancouver is a nightmare and just everything looks like like the sky is just milk you know it's just there's no there's no blue in the sky like it's so hard to like actually get like an actual ray of sunlight um 
you know, it's just, it's just a very overcast and dreary kind of place. And so, so much of, you know, the sunlight is just the DP, like just trying to figure out like, what's the fastest way he can get like a beam <laughs> going yeah. kind of thing. There's, yeah, there's my six feet under days to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful shot. Yeah, and that's done in yeah. camera. No little compy kind of magic. To oh, yeah, that, that was happen. that's in, yeah, that's in camera. I mean, the nice thing about the ice cream truck is like it's there's so much space in there. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and then like even like here, like well, you, you can see like our like our the Covington High sign like barely fits over the other school sign. Like it's just like some things you know you just you know you just like slap a bandaid on and then you kind of run. Um, and then we had like a Dylan yearbook shot and then we went really back and forth about using it or not. Um, and we wound up using the other shot instead, but was, I feel conflicted about to this day. It feels like weird that he doesn't, he's like the only one that doesn't get a yearbook shot. Yeah. It's it interesting. Like I, he, hadn't, I hadn't caught it on the first go around, but now you say it, uh, that'll be haunting yeah, me like too. I'll like, be like, uh, oh yeah, interesting choice. Yeah. It just feels like he's like a little, um, warmer it. i solved it you know those are the, the thing about yearbook pictures right is they come with that sort of imbued sense of nostalgia like those moments are frozen in time and they'd like kind of you leave them no. behind the way she's leaving her hometown behind but she takes dylan with her there that's you my go answer. see if i was writing the critical <laughs> analysis that's the that's and then, why and then this was also like a little bit of a Love this. Uh, love this. I love all of that's this. That's me. That's that's my big cameo. <laughs> that's your Hitchcock cameo. You are the monkey at the typewriter. That's too Yeah, perfect. and then this that's my dog. That was my manager's old assistant. That's Max, the, the famous assistant. And then that's Charlie, obviously. Um, uh, that's the right call. You did the right thing. Yeah, I think These are so. the moments yeah. that, you know, that you'll remember. And then that's my wife who was super pregnant as pregnant. Mara, oh, I was wondering. We, I was like, that's a really good pregnancy, Belly. That's yeah. an easy thing to get This is Mara becoming president. And we were terrified because we came out the week after Trump said he got COVID and we were, Catherine and I were like, if he fucking dies, we will never get this movie out. Like if he dies this week, it was like the one time you were, you're like praying that Trump doesn't die. Um, and then um, uh, this is my buddy. Is Jurassic Matt, Park, close man. Yeah. And then I'm the dinosaur. Uh, as well. <laughs> and then, um, uh, and then I, it's Catherine, maybe it was someone at WME that was just like, like, no, no one's going to care because no one apparently has seen the movie to know that you talk about Trump dying. So if he dies, yeah, yeah. they'll just find out after the movie comes out. Yeah. And then we're like, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> like, we're like, that comes down. You're like, he can die anytime. Um, I had to ask uh, about the uh, this sort of like final power montage here. With yeah, this, this is all man, this, this is all Aaron's lighting, and it's like it's literally a blizzard all around them, and they just the production design did a great job shipping in snow or snip shipping in sand, and then um, uh, making it look like a nice thing, and then it's like the exact same sh shot as the first shot of the movie, just no one explodes. Um, <laughs> behind her um but was the was the the sentiment was the full stop the same in the book as it is in the script? no the book is darker like the book you know in all honesty that's probably another one of the bigger changes like the book has a much darker ending where um Catherine or mara and tess leave prom and they kind of like reunite and um, I don't think after Charlie dies or after Dylan dies, like in the movie, like Dylan's the last to die. I don't think that is true in the 
book. Like it's like something that just is still happening. Um, and uh, Mara and Tess kind of reunite. They like go outside somewhere. Um, they fall asleep and then it's like rain, like Catherine or Mara wakes up and it's raining and like some of Tess's clothes are there. And like, it ends with Mara not really knowing if like Tess like left town, like she said she was going to leave town or if she exploded and got washed away. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit of a downer. Um, and um, it, it works in the context of the book in like terms of like the book's tone. Um, and it was the kind of thing to me where knowing visually how it all felt and where it was all going and then knowing where um like i wrote the graveyard scene and that was an invention i was really into that i was like okay so like our girl has gone through a lot um i was like how do we get her going off in a way that we feel like she's good like we feel like she's going to be okay but we feel like she's still you know, literally scarred. Um, and then, um, you know, opening a new, new, knowing I was going to have the voiceover at the, at the top of the movie. And then I was like, well, what's the end voiceover? Then what's the version of that? That's not um, like the, the, the typical uh, wrap up kind of thing. And like, my idea was, it was like, so like if, if Mari was like being told to like read off like the typical, YA closer and then just got like really sick of it and like lost her shit <laughs> and like just started screaming um uh you know kind of like that being like the moment where like our girl is back um uh and so like that was the kind of idea like it was like I feel like I saw something do something similar I'm trying to remember what the example was and I think oh, I don't want to make it sound like I'm like the most original person because I feel like I had seen a movie or like a show or something do like a similar kind of like a device where like the voiceover kind of goes to shit. Um, and I was like, that's really interesting. And then it, it felt like it fit her character well in that moment. It must've been yeah. a good day when you got that record. Like when you hear that, you go, oh, that's going to work. That's yeah, no, it was they I, Catherine probably hates me. I, I made her do it like 40 times. Like, I'm not like a big like stickler for like a lot of takes. It's just like that thing where it's so it's long, and then it's like tonally, it's like it's really it's really hard because you you're you're screaming, but you don't want to like scream people away. And then you're um you're being hyper, but you don't want to be like excited because you also still got to be like, there's Jess Fisher, like our great uh, post supervisor. Um, uh, like you don't want people to be like, oh, she's over the trauma. Like it's like the she's carrying yeah. that with her forever. Um, and so it was like, this is kind of like tough to like find the, uh, the pocket. Cause it is like, and it's like an unusual, like, and it's like so much where you're like, you're like screaming and then you're like, and also Dylan is great and well, special. And then also screaming. And so it's like finding like those like ways of, you know. It seems like such a perfect encapsulation of the the balancing act that the whole film required. You know, here I Probably, was thinking yeah. you might have been just given something <laughs> as a gift. Oh, that's perfect. Take two. Let's put that one in there. But of course, it's a high wire act like the whole movie is. Uh, right. And, I, you know, I, I just have to take my hat off to you and say, 
congrats, man. Cause like, it's a, oh, thanks. <laughs> it was a hard, hard movie to get right, but you really, you really did thread the needle perfectly, you know, from the opening oh, minutes to the I'm closing one. Some people think so. Yeah. Um, well, I'd certainly do. And I'm sure all my listeners do nice. as well. Yeah. You, know, you like a quick movie. There it's, you a go. Snappy, it's a snappy John. Um, <laughs> Which is, that was also important. I was like, you know, as long as it's like, you know, snappy, we can get away with a lot. <laughs> so, well, as long as it's funny and it's heartfelt and it's insightful and it kind of had all of that going on for it too. Yeah, we so. have like everything, but like, you know, and I'm sure Catherine would love like a good musical number because she's a great singer. Um, but it was like, it was really like, you know, one of the things I, I when I knew I was going to make the movie, I, I really wanted to kind of take the message of the movie to heart a little bit in terms of like, you know, and just in general, it's like, oh, this could be like the only movie I ever um, make. And so like, it kind of has to be like a little bit of a kitchen sink kind of thing. Cause I was like, you know, if this is the only movie I get a chance to direct, like if I, and also like, I, I wasn't like nervous about it, but like being like, oh, people just might hate the exploding kids, cool school shooting <laughs> allegory movie. Um, but like, um, you know, just being like, what is like, you know, everything I gotta, you know, there's, there's, there's my guys, um, <laughs> everything I gotta get in to this movie has to be there. Cause I, you know, and again, like, obviously I want to direct other, um, uh, oh, there's Hannah Marks down there in the bottom left who also helped on the movie. And then Kat, Hannah who starred and wrote banana split, uh, saw spontaneous and then cast Haley hey. uh, is as the lead in, um, her movie that's about to premiere at Tribeca. Well, look at which that. Is, which is like the best compliment I've ever gotten, I think, where someone saw an actor in one of my movies and was like, I need yeah. that person in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, we got it done, man. I don't know. <laughs> and so you, you mentioned the hope to make more movies. I, I have more yeah. than hope. I, I feel reasonably confident that that's going to happen. You were in the, the headlines recently for setting up another project. I'm sure you have mm -hmm. lots going on. Is there anything that you can tell our listeners about to keep an eye out for what might be coming next yeah no um uh so yeah the my my day-to-day -day is is between two different things right now it's um i uh my my perfect covid job has been show running um and writing all the episodes for the uh king kong anime series on netflix yes um, that will drop i have no idea we just started recording actors like a week or two ago um and i'm already writing season two um now um so there's that so at some point there will be a king kong anime on netflix um that is is i think my a very fun uh tone and hopefully people dig it and then um in a couple couple weeks we're supposed to start shooting um cocaine bear which i didn't uh write but my, my buddy jimmy warden did and i'm, I'm producing that um, at, with Lord and Miller's company and uh, Elizabeth Banks is directing that, which is about uh, a bear that finds a bunch of cocaine and eats it <laughs> and then eats a bunch of people um, uh, based on a true story. Yeah. Um, and so there's, they're going to, I'm going to be on uh, paternity, but they're going to go off and shoot that uh, I think 13 weeks uh, away. And yeah, then, and really then, yeah, I, I, ideally in, um, in the spring, I'm going to direct uh, a movie with the wonderful Caitlin Deaver uh, called No One Will, Will Save You, which is extremely different from um, Spontaneous. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I think, I don't think 20th want me to say 
a lot about it. Like it was like the thing where like they announced it and they were like, it's it's a secret. And I was like, oh, I didn't know it was a secret. Um, uh, so I don't want to get in trouble, but it's a- uh, Too bad we didn't a, catch uh, you before the announcement. Uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, but it's a uh, science fiction horror thriller and she is the only character in the movie. <laughs> so um, I wrote it before the pandemic. Uh, so I feel like there's going to be like this rush of like movies that have like one actor in a house. Um, yeah. uh, but it was, we were trying to make it before, it, we kind of got shut down pre-pandemic um, as we were trying to make it. And and so we're kind of geared back up. Um, and uh, it's going to, it'll be a lot different. So I'm, I'm curious to see what it thinks, but it's been funny, like a lot of, I don't think spontaneous is a, is a horror movie. And then I feel like the horror community has been the ones that like really embraced it. And then, um, but this well, one- they're not is, squeamish about blood. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, but this one is, is a, is a balls to the wall horror um, movie. So I'm, I'm curious, like, or at least I think so. And so I'm sure like it'll come out and people will be like, this is an horror movie. So my barometer of what's horror or not horror is, is way off, but um uh, it should be a a good time. That's going to be with the twentieth century studios. Well, and, dude, yeah, I hopefully am a, in February, man. What are, what are you doing next? Are we allowed to talk about you? Well, I don't want to steal the spotlight and talk about all of my super exciting and long gestating projects, but yeah, <laughs> we can talk about that off air. I don't want to, you know, steal the limelight. But um, oh no, I, I will say like an hour and a half. <laughs> I am a fan of the Duffield verse. I'm gonna I'm gonna dub it that. And I I am here for the cocaine bear. I want to go into space with Caitlin Diva, uh, and I'll certainly be watching whatever it is that you do next. Is there a social media that people can find you at if you care to? Yeah, I'm, I'm too active on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, it's either Brian Duffield or Brian C Duffield, and I think that's also like my Instagram. I think that's it. Like I have like a Tumblr that I never look at. That's just I think BrianDuffield.com. Uh and then um yeah. But tune that, in, that's people. You heard it here first. Hit the Google. I mean ask me questions and that's ask right. me why the kids explode and um, I don't know why. Oh well, <laughs> so. uh, and then you can all pester him about coming back to talk about uh his next project when it hits the hits the streaming waves or the theater screens. Thank you guys. Well, thank you so much, Brian. That there's been a wildly insightful uh, look behind a very inspiring movie. Oh, thank you guys so much. I hope I hope someone enjoys uh, the commentary, and I hope everyone enjoys the movie. Well, well, and I hope we see you again on the show. Thanks so much for coming. I out. would love to have more things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd love to have more things to watch. So get back to work. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully for for Skull Island next year, I'll happily do your first anime podcast. Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> thanks mate thanks dude uh, well thank you Brian and thank you Grant that is the end of our show and thanks to anyone who is listening until next week you can find me on Instagram I am at Grant Spittore and I'm at is that you Dave the show has its own Instagram at the commentary cast where you can feel free to stop by drop a comment or suggest other films we should feature Yep, stop by, blow our minds. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your quality podcasts. Feel free to drop us a review. It really helps the show. And until next time, insert catchphrase here. That's the sound of what's left of Dave's brain popping. <laughs>